Welcome to The Dad Presents. Make sure you're following the show wherever you're listening. And wherever you are out in the world, spread that love and liberty. Let's go. Welcome to The Dad Presents, you guys. Man, it has been a minute since I've been here with you, huh? I'm, I'm sorry we've not done any shows in a few weeks, but you know, man, sometimes life just gets busy. We got the holidays coming up. We've got the holidays in the past. I'm preparing meals. I'm cooking. The bride is on the DL. She's on injured reserve, which means I'm essentially a single dad who gets to do all the laundry and dishes and shopping and meals. And I basically run a child escort service for my two boys all over town. That didn't sound how I wanted it to sound. That sounded wrong. This is not Balenciaga. I am not Jeffrey Epstein. I am not the president who grabs his daughter in the shower. What I mean is I'm driving my kids all over to creation, to swimming, to jujitsu, to basketball, to flag football, making the meals, doing everything. And with the wife on DL and I got a whisper because she's in the other room on recovery. I don't get no booty. So I'm doing all this stuff. And the JJ is on layaway for at least a month, guys. It's rough. It is rough. I understand what it's like to be a hardworking single mother right now. It's tough. Props to you, single working ladies. It's tough. Anyway, uh, we're, we're doing less shows because we are busy. Got a lot going on. Um, so if you want to make sure you are catching the Dad Presents, Make sure you're subscribed. Go to Spotify, go to Rumble, go to iTunes and click that subscribe button. Subscribe to the Dad Presents podcast so you can be aware when we put out a new show, right? We, we put out a new show. You get a little notification on your Apple iPhone, you know, for at least as long as there is an Apple iPhone until the workers at Foxconn in China go full rebellion and take out Tim Cook. And the president of China, GG Little Ping, and start the worldwide revolution against violent communism that we Americans have been too cowardly to start ourselves. So go, people of China, get it going. We'll ride your coattails, we'll get involved, but you got to start it off because we're comfy over here. We're comfy over here. Anyway, guys, today we have an amazing guest. We have an amazing guest, such a brave young lady, Chloe Cole. That's her name. This young lady started transitioning to become a dude when she was 12 years old. She got on hormones. 12 years old, a year younger than my oldest son, who's just a little boy. 12 years old, she was on hormones. At 15, she had a double mastectomy, cut off both them titties at 15. Wild. Now at 18, she's gone back to being a lady. She said, I had enough of this nonsense. She went back. She's adorable. She's brave as hell. She's smart. She's bringing her story. So let's just go get into the show. All right, you guys, today we are on with a truly brave individual. Chloe Cole is her name. She went through gender transition surgery when she was like 15, having a double mastectomy. She started hormones a long time before that. Then a few years later, she felt like she made a big mistake and she started transitioning back. Since that time, she's been bravely taking on the mainstream media, the, uh, the, the trans advocate groups, and an absolute onslaught of online hate in order to bring her story to the public eye to help prevent other girls from making the same mistake as her. Chloe, how are you doing today? Thank you so much for having me here and giving me a voice. 
Yeah. Well, your, your voice has kind of been all over recently and, and, and that's awesome. Like stories like yours, they tend to get repressed. Um, and, um, I'm glad your, your story is getting out there because it, you know, the, the, this shows that dad presents We I have two kids myself and we're out here in California and, um, there's a lot of that stuff out here. It, it's, it's all over the school. So I guess the first thing I want to ask you is why originally did you want to transition? Like what made you feel, when did it start? How old were you? And what made you feel like that was the way to go for you? Um, it started, I would say when I was 11 or 12, I mean, there were, there were a lot of factors that led to me transitioning. I feel like, I mean, when I was a, when I was a little kid, I was just like a kind of like a stereotypical girl. Like I, I really liked pink and dresses and things like that and playing with dolls. But I also, you know, I'm, I'm the youngest of five kids and I've got two older brothers, two older sisters, and I kind of had influence from both sexes. So I also had a bit of a tomboyish streak in me. I, I liked playing with my older brothers, Nerf guns and their Legos and playing video games with them. But, um, I'm also on the spectrum, so it's it's. I've always found it a little bit difficult to communicate with other people, and especially with other people my age, making friends, making and keeping friendships with with people my age, and that got more and more difficult as I got older. Um, particularly with other girls, I found that I didn't really, I didn't really fit in with them, and I was often targeted by them when they'd often target me in, in bullying and things like that. And I just didn't really get along with them nearly as much as I did with boys. Okay. And I find that this got, this became more, more of a thing after I hit puberty actually. Um, and I also started using the, the internet at a pretty young age. I mean, I got my first phone at, um, at 11 and I started using social media shortly after and, I was seeing a lot of things that I should not have at that age. Um, and you think that stuff influenced you some? Yeah, definitely. Like when you say things, <clears throat> what, what do you mean? Because I, I have a 13-year-old. I have a 10-year-old. They've, been, they've had phones now for a year. So the 10-year-old since he was nine, like what kind of things are you seeing that you feel may have influenced you? Um, there were it, – it was a lot of things. Like I had unrestricted internet access and um, I was – I was introduced to porn at a young age and um, on social media, I see a lot of, a lot of the stuff that other women would post like other young women and like teenage girls, they would often post like very like sexualized images of their bodies with like very ideal like faces, lots of makeup. And a lot of them, if not most of them either had like a, they edited their photos to make themselves like a certain way, or they used filters or they wore, or they had like plastic surgery. Yeah. Um, but I didn't, I started wondering like, why don't I look like that? Is there, is there something wrong with me? And I started developing body image issues from that. But. Um, so you, 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 you were like a tomboy. Yeah. Um, you, you had older brothers. you liked playing with their <laughs> things. You yeah. didn't feel comfortable with your body. You didn't get along with other girls. Yeah. I mean, and the other things I would hear from other girls growing up and even, even like other, like older women, they were just like constantly, it was like, I was constantly hearing about just how bad, terrible, just how terrible being a woman was like mm. starting to get like periods and 
possibility of pregnancy and things like childbirth and maternity and the pain that comes with those things. And they never, they never really talked about the, the beautiful things that really comes with that. And when they did, it just felt kind of cheesy and forced. And I just never really. Interesting. So they yeah. made, they made being a woman seem unappealing to a young girl who was already Absolutely. struggling with her body. That's a, that's an interesting thing. I, I'd not heard before. I guess that makes sense. You know, when, when I was a kid a million years ago, there, you know, there were girls like you all over the place, girls who tomboys, you know, we used to play with them at recess. They'd play basketball with us or they play some of them play football. And there were boys who were who were feminine. Right. I have yeah. family members, boys who were feminine, who are married now with kids and they're still feminine dudes. It used to be OK to be a feminine dude. People might suspect you were gay. But, you you know, you got along and you went about your day in society and nobody said, hey, you're a woman. Now it's like if you're if you if you display feminine characteristics as a boy or as soon as you pick up a, a basketball or a soccer ball or a truck when you're a girl, it seems like society wants to like start operating on you. It's bizarre. Yeah. It's. I feel like there's a lot of reasons why, but. One of the big ones is that we put too much emphasis on things like identity and we kind of, a lot of people just have too much time now. So they're constantly just overthinking. And that was kind of, in my case, I was, I wasn't really, I wasn't like playing any sports. I wasn't involved in any school clubs as much as I, as much as I wanted to be, because I was, I felt like I wouldn't fit in with my peers and that I would just be made fun of for like being, being bad at a sport. And so I never participated in any. And, um, so I, I, I moved schools in about fifth grade. I was, I was 10 at the time. And, um, at the school, I found it extra difficult to, to, um, to make friends because not only was it, not only was it difficult for me as an autistic girl to, to adjust to the change. I mean, I moved from, I moved to an entirely different neighborhood, um, these people were also, it was, it was a very snotty kind of school. And so there was kind of like a clicky mm-hmm. feeling about yeah. the place. And I didn't really, I didn't really fit in at all. And um, right. I actually had been bullied by other students and I wasn't really treated very well by staff either. And so I just kind of, I just turned to the internet and I spent a lot of time, my time on my computer or my phone. Sure. And, um, Shortly after I started making, after I started using social media, I also started to see like a lot of like LGBT, LGBTQ content. And, um, yeah, naturally over time, I started to wonder like, what's my sexuality? What's my gender identity? And I mean, like seeing all these, like all these oh, like, yeah. new words and like all the flags and stuff kind of like Makes drew sense. me in. It kind of, it kind of has that appeal to kids because it's very bright and colorful uh-huh. and there's a very seemingly cheery um, community online about this stuff, but, um, well, I can, I, I, I was, can, I can get it from what you're saying. Like kids, your age, you were, you were a misfit essentially. Yeah. And it gave you something to, to, to latch onto and, and give you some hope. Like maybe I'm a misfit because of this thing. Exactly. Right? And it, there's a lot of kids ages, you know, uh, especially around puberty who don't fit in. They're not the cool kid. Um, but we didn't used to rush to the idea th- about their their gender being wrong. That was that was not a thing. 
Um, and and you said something. Kids, people have too much time today's, and and that you know it brings me to a th- a thing my grandmother used to say. Everybody's grandma used to say, you know, uh, what what is it? Idle hands or the devil's playground or something like that. Meaning, like if you have too much time, that's when trouble starts. And if we look at past societies, when societies have become very affluent, um, when life has become easier and people aren't constantly bogged down with work, not that work is not that it's hugely important to be working constantly, but when people have had their time freed up, they and and they've become comfortable. That's when societies have started to crumble for whatever reason. So it's like you become more introspective. You start thinking about your problems. You start obsessing over that, and then you and now with the internet, you can find other people who feel like you feel, and then you have these groups who start preying on people like you. Now, my yeah. question is: so you're feeling this way? You're you're feeling lost. You're feeling like you don't um, fit in anywhere. You're 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 seeing these LGBT things online. And you're thinking maybe this is the avenue for me. This, uh, you know, there's some other people here who feel like me. At some point, you go to a doctor. Now, like you just said, you you're on the spectrum. You're a little bit autistic, um, although you communicate really fine. Like I, I wouldn't know it. So you, you're you're on the outer edges of the spectrum, right? It took a little while to to get to the point where I am at now. It did used to be worse, but I would often. It actually took a while for me to get a proper diagnosis because. Um, I mean, my teachers throughout the years, they would tell my parents like, hey, we think your kid has like some really clear autistic symptoms. And then they would take me to the doctor and the doctor would be like, oh no, she's she's way too smart. She's way too social, socially apt to, to be autistic. And they would just completely dismiss it. And so for a while, I was just kind of pushed out of the ideal time time window to sure. really get a diagnosis. So but that adds before, to your confusion. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you, you go to a doctor now with these with these feelings. Do they, did your doctor try to like, did he deeply investigate and try to find other things? Did he, did he try to find other possible causes or do they kind of, did he, they, the doctor nudge you in this direction of maybe you're the wrong sex and we should put you on these hormones. How did that whole experience go? Yeah. So before that, um, I mean, after I decided that I was a boy, I kind of just kept myself mostly about it for a little while. Um, I mean, I did like start getting shorter haircuts and I came out to some of my, some of my family members, some people who I was closer to at school and, um, without my parents knowing I would, um, I would like go to the, I would go to the store and like buy, buy, buy clothes from the boys department. And then eventually after a while, I decided to come out to my parents in a letter because, um, I didn't know how they were going to react. I wasn't, I wasn't sure if their reaction was going to be positive or negative. And I wanted to allow them some time to think as well about this mm-hmm. before they made it, before they responded. And, um, they were shocked when they read it actually, but, um, you know, they're just normal people and they're not really, they're not really educated at the time on this topic. It was, this was a few years ago. It was like 2017. Right. Yeah. And so there was nobody was really much, educated yeah, on it five years ago. It was there wasn't real. as much information on it then. And there certainly weren't a lot. There weren't really as many people speaking against it as they are now. But um, so my parents, they wanted to get to the bottom of my feelings and why, what was making me feel this way. And so they started sending me to a therapist. 
which the therapist and none of my, none of the medical professionals who were involved in my transition really ever questioned any of it. There was no real psychological evaluation. Like, do you have any trauma or do you have, do you have these comorbid conditions? It was like, oh, so you say you're a boy? Well, then you're, you're a boy and you can do whatever you want. And save for one endocrinologist who I was referred to, it basically went, that was pretty much how my, every stage of my transition went. Um, I started to seek hormones because I, I mean, transitioning was really the only, the only treatment to dysphoria that was really presented to me either from the the sources and research I I did online or from even from my own medical professionals there was no I mean it wasn't even brought up that there might be alternatives to transition it was just like oh if you want to be a boy then let's let's go ahead and do that let's get the ball mm. rolling and um didn't even discuss other options nope mm. nope expressvpn.com slash the dad look guys the fbi and nsa they're tracking you man if you're a parent and you use the word liberty or patriot in your bio on twitter or whatever or you talk about it on facebook guess what they're spending money to track your web activity last year alone four million americans were tracked that data recently came out Four million Americans were spied on by the FBI, and they're not going after the lefties. So protect yourself and protect your family with a VPN blocker from expressvpn.com slash the dad. There's just no reason to not do this at this point. You get three free months. If you don't like it by the fourth month, you cancel. Cancel by month four. You never pay for it. So try it out. Expressvpn.com slash the dad. Protect yourself. Protect your privacy. Protect your family. Our second sponsor is zstacklife.com slash the dad. Guys, COVID's still here. Still here. People aren't dying from it, but you don't want to get it. I had it. It's no fun. Flu season's coming back around. Get your body right and ready and healthy. Exercise eat right, and get all the vitamins you need for a strong immune system in one dose from Z-Stack Life, which was created by the great Dr. Zelenko, who is one of the first brave doctors to stand up and fight against the COVID regime. Go to zstacklife.com slash dad, get 15% off, get your body right. Let's get back into the show. Your your parents, I mean, I'm a parent, right? You <laughs> Such... Such a weird place to be because I, I they love you. I assume I, you know. I assume they love you. Okay. Yeah, they do. And they want to do what's best for you. So they you come to them with this idea that I think I'm a boy. They don't want to probably say, "Well, no, you're not. That's dumb. You're a girl." They want to. They want to protect you and do the right thing for you. And they're getting these same messages from society. Very tricky. Very yes. tricky for a parent from our to, doctors. Yeah. They actually behind my back they they told they told my parents that if I wasn't allowed to go through with medical transition that I would be at risk of suicide. Wow. Yeah, you hear that as a parent, that's the last thing you want for your kid, right? Absolutely. I don't think I even believed that at the time. I didn't feel any suicidal urges and so I was 2 years on testosterone mm-hmm. and it continued to transitioning actually made my mental state um going to a downward spiral, but, um, yeah, 
So I started to seek medicalization and my gender specialist then referred me to an endocrinologist. Um, the first endocrinologist I saw, he actually said that I should not do this and that there, because I, I was so young, I was, I was 13 at the time. Wow. That there would, there would be, there would be risks for my, for my brain development. And so he didn't, he didn't give me any prescription, but the second endocrinologist who I was referred to, she, um, after only about two or three appointments gave me and my mom, the consent forms to sign off. And after about two, three months after that was when I had my first puberty blocker shot. And then a month after that, um, was when I was given my first testosterone shot. So the process for me was very quick. Um, it wasn't even a year, um, by the time I got my, those first two shots, um, between, between that time and my diagnosis for gender dysphoria, it was, it was very quick. Yeah. And the way they, they tell it in the media that it's, it's important to do this quick because you have to stop puberty. And if you don't stop puberty, there will be damage. that can't be reversed, blah, blah, blah. And, and starting this at 13, that hits up home with me. I've told this before on the show, uh, I have a 13 year old a year ago, he had a girlfriend and his girlfriend identified as non-binary. And mm-hmm. I asked him, you know, that's cool. Whatever. It's all fun and games, but why don't, why don't you have, why don't you find a regular girl? To be your <laughs> girlfriend? And he said to me, he said, dad, we're out here in California. He said, dad, every single girl I know in school is either a lesbian or non-binary. All of them. He said, all of them, except five in the entire school which of course is mathematically impossible and leads me to believe there's got to be some kind of social reward system to this, especially for girls, because it wasn't happening with the boys. Um, and I, I you got to think like a lot of girls who were feeling like you feel, who are feeling like misfits, this yeah. is now a, a, a click for them. Yeah. So when I first started transitioning, both socially and medically, um, I was 13, eighth grade, still in middle school at the time. So um, I actually was, was further bullied a little bit for it, but as soon as I got into high school, um, I mean, I passed fairly well at the time. I didn't, I was on testosterone for long enough that my voice was deep enough and my features were squarish enough that I, that I actually looked like the opposite sex. And most people didn't even know that I was transgender, um, save for some people who I was closer to and came out to myself or I was outed to, or people that I knew in like elementary or middle school, but I started noticing um, by the time I was in sophomore year, um, there were other girls my age that were starting to identify as either non-binary or as transgender boys. And it was only girls. There were no trans identified boys. It was all girls identifying as boys. Yeah. What do you think that is? Um, there's definitely a social aspect to it. I mean, these girls, they, um, they were definitely misfits. They were kind of like really nerdy. Like they really liked cartoons or video games or anime, or they were like, they had body image issues or they were overweight. And I mean, a lot of them didn't really have any friends before, but then once they started identifying as one thing or another, they started to like build sort of a community amongst themselves. Yeah. Yeah. For whatever reason, this thing seems to have really hit younger girls more so than boys. Like, like I said about my kids school, there's like two boys going through this, but the Mm -hmm. girls it's, 
it's everywhere. It, it's everywhere. When everywhere. I was a kid, when I was a kid, I did know two trans boys. I didn't know any trans girls. Mm. Um, so there have always been a couple kids who who seem trans on the boy side, and that kind of stayed the same. But the numbers of amongst young girls has just absolutely skyrocketed. Um, it's like completely so, fit. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so you you went through this. You changed your mind. Uh, um, you've had a lot of long term. Tell tell us first about about when you came. Oh, nice! You muted the sneeze. Sorry, <laughs> um, like a professional. Uh, tell us when you came to the realization you had made a mistake and what that process was like. Um, that's a bit further down the line. Actually, it wasn't until after my surgery that I right that I realized my mistake, and it was Ugh. almost. Not even, not even a year after the surgery, but um, before that, um, I started using a binder, which is basically like a, it's sort of like a tank top. It covers either like the, like half the torso or, or the whole torso, but in the chest area, there's kind of like a, like an area of um, like compression. Yeah. They squish your boobs. Yeah. 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 It's basically flat. It's yeah. for, they say it masculinizes the appearance of the chest. Yeah, it wasn't. Um, for me, it wasn't like painful or anything. Some people get like some really awful, like back pain or rib pain or like breast pain from it. For, for me, it was, it was fine. I had one that fit fairly well. Um, but it was uncomfortable. I would mm -hmm. wear it for like eight to 12 hours a day and I would like work out and like swim and like go to and from school in this. And it, I got really sick of it over the years. Um, but even though I thought it was safe other than that um i didn't know this until after i had my breasts removed but i noticed one day that my ribs were sticking out quite a bit and i think what happened is that um because it was basically pushing my breasts into my rib cage while i was still developing it actually caused my rib cage to deform a little bit oh yeah mm-hmm and I didn't even know that they got they got to grow in they got to grow in one direction or another. They're going to grow, and if you're restricting them on the outside, they're going to push into. Were you wearing them like around the clock? Um, I mean, I would wear them to school and basically like any like whenever I went out into public. But at, at home, I usually wouldn't wouldn't wear one just because of the discomfort. But yeah, I mean, it's like it's like you know, I'm a physical therapist by trade. It's like, a, it's like a brace. You put a brace on something to help it uh, when it's weak. And yeah. if you wear it on braces on your teeth, will change the direction that they are growing in. That's what you did. That's what you did to your chest. It's right? a brace that's to help have, nothing basically. Yeah. I, I used to, I dated a girl. Now this is 20 years ago. Um, and she you used to be a lesbian and then she became straight because I fixed her. <laughs> that, that's what happened. That's what happened. And I used to go stay with her in San Francisco and all her roommates were either really butchy lesbians mm -hmm. or some of them, I guess, were trans before that was totally a thing, but they would wear those binders. And then at night they would take them off and they would walk around the apartment with no top without the binder. And because they had a bad, interesting life, not as interesting as you, but when they would take off this binder and walk around with nothing. Now we're talking about 24, 25 year old girls, their boobs hung down like 80 year old women. It just, yeah, like, they, they weakened the, the breast tissue. Yeah. Awful. Um, 
And then the next evolution is that you had them removed at 15 years old. Yeah, it was partly because of that, actually, that I thought like it would it would never recover from that and it would never look it over again. So there was no point in having them. But um, I also thought like, you know, I genuinely believed myself to be a male. I genuinely thought that I was a boy and you were convinced I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to look like now, did you feel the boys my age? Did you feel happier? Like you were convinced you're on this testosterone, you're wearing the binder. You've not yet had the surgery. Uh, Part of the reason you got into this is because you were unhappy and felt like a misfit. Were you feeling happier living as a boy? Um, temporarily, but the, there's kind of a, Nobody ever really told me this before I transitioned, but there's kind of a honeymoon period with each stage. And I would say after maybe like a year or so, it kind of wore off. Like it was kind of cool because like for once in my life, I felt like I looked good and like I looked fit. I started growing some muscle and I was I was active. And um, one of the effects of testosterone that is that it increases production of melanin in the body. So I got more tan. I just... I felt like I, I looked good. I looked handsome and I started getting some attention, um, from other girls actually. Yeah. Um, and that felt good. It was like, it was, it felt validating, but I, I just don't really have much of an attraction to other women. I was still attracted to, to men. So it was kind of like, okay, so there's not really okay. any point. So in you're not, you're not even, you're not gay. Like no. you're not a gay woman. You were, when you were a man, you were not into women. You were still into guys. So you identified yeah. as a transitioned game boy yeah and i started to realize like my dating pool is seriously limited like i'm watching like all my friends like start to make like other friends and like get into relationships and stuff and i was just completely missing out on this and i was like i i didn't know what to do about this and it just felt awful i couldn't go out with the girls that were interested in me because i had no interest in them and even if i did i I knew it just, it wouldn't be the same. They wouldn't really see me as a man. And so I wasn't really interested in that. And yeah, you, you real, I mean, they say, if you won't date a trans person, you're a a bigot, but if we really look at society, (laughs) like most you're attracted to what you're attracted to and, and people who like women typically want a vagina down there and people who like men want to find a, you know, a peeper down there. So you're in this spot where who, who's gonna, who's going to be down with that. I'm sure there are people, but you're really narrowing that down. The thing is though, I mean, women are more open-minded about that kind of thing, but it's just, I didn't really have any interest in them. And the few boys that were interested in me, it was like the ones who knew it was about like my, about what I really was. It was almost like a very, very creepy, very fetishy mm. way they came on to me. And I just, I, I didn't like that. That was basically my whole dating pool. And that was really upsetting to me for a while. And I mean, you know, I, I, I was living a lie and I was spreading this lie to other people. And that could, that puts kind of a, a pressure on you. And that was one of, those are all just a few of several factors of my transition that kind of led to me spiraling downward throughout high school. Um, it wasn't until um, my sophomore year that I started getting a, that I got my first consultation for my double mastectomy or at the time they called it a, they called it top surgery. I expressed to my, um, 
my gender specialist that I wanted to, that I was interested in getting the surgery. And she was like, okay, I'll just refer you to a surgeon. And after my first appointment with the surgeon, which again, there was no psychological evaluation, nothing too serious. It was just like, okay, um, this is how the surgery goes. You know, um, there's different kinds of incisions. And even then, like what I was shown was actually quite skewed. I didn't realize at the time, but um, they would only, they would only show um, like post-op results, post-op results of um, patients who were pretty well healed, pretty well in the yeah. process. And they never showed any failed, any failed operations. It was all people who were healing well and they. Yeah. One thing we've learned, I think through COVID is that uh, the, the medical industry is, is an industry. Um, there's a lot of money at stake. I've had, I myself have had 13 surgeries, orthopedic yeah. surgeries. Um, and now in hindsight, many years later, I realized I was upsold on a lot of these because they're worth a lot of money. So you're in that, you're in a situation, they're not going to show you the, uh, the mastectomies that went badly. That's bad for business. Exactly. Um, yeah. So that's, that's really, um, unethical. Yeah. So after that first appointment, he actually referred me to a top surgery class, he called it, where it was basically for minors and their parents to attend. And we were basically just given the same information like, oh, this is how the surgery goes. These are different, the different kinds of incisions and operations we do. And this is how it looks a few months after when you're fully healed and the basic propaganda, like... Yeah. This will make you feel better. This will bring you to your closer to your true self as your desired gender identity, things like that. Um, yeah. One thing I noticed mm. upon sitting down and looking around um, was that a lot of these other kids who were attending looked considerably younger than me, or they looked like they weren't nearly as advanced in the process, like they hadn't even started on on hormones or blockers and they already wow. were considering surgery that that kind of you, were, that kinda, you were 15 and you're saying yeah, the i was other 15 about two years younger. on yeah 15 about two years on testosterone and that kind of unnerved me a little bit actually but at the time i kind of just dismissed it as like oh these these people are just like me and i have a community of other people who had these same feelings as me and so i didn't really think much of it um, but I think there are about two or three more, no, one or two more consultations with the surgeon after that. Um, one of which was just like a, like an exam, but, um, I would say it only took about maybe like half a year, give or take between getting referred to the surgeon and then actually going under the knife, which is way too quick. Um, but after I woke up from it's, surgery, it's, it's too quick. Right. But at the same time, if we're looking at it from their point of view, and this is a real thing and we're in a race against puberty, it has to be quick. So the question then becomes, is this a real thing? And did, are some people making a mistake and being rushed into it, but there are other people who it's real for, or is this all a fucking sham? Right. That becomes the question. Uh, um, 
honestly, I don't really believe in the idea that a person of one sex can have the brain of the other. Cause that, that was the idea that, that, that I had in my head that I was, that I was, even though I was biologically female, I actually had the brain of a male and that was right. making me, that was what made me different from all the yeah. other girls. And that kind of seems to be like the general consensus as to what causes gender dysphoria. And people say that people who identify one way or another, they're actually male or female or whatever they call themselves. But there's no, there's no solid evidence to suggest that there's, the there's brain no... sex theory has been debunked. Right. There's, Right. That's the story I always heard too. Mm. And um, there are, but there is no science. Do. There's no science that suggests this, this is real. Like you can have the brain. So, so I guess what they go to then is gender is not a real thing. It's a construct, but that's just, yeah. that's just ridiculous. Like it's just very round biology. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I don't think this, these treatments should be barred completely. I don't, they're definitely not for kids. It's not for kids and it should be, they should, kids should be kept far away from this stuff. But I mean, a fully developed adult who is fully informed and mentally healthy enough to be able to make a decision of the sort, I think should be allowed to do this. Yeah. But I'm with you. I, 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 I believe, and I'm glad to hear you say that because I, we, we believe in this show in liberty and freedom and, and the ability to make our own decisions for ourselves. But but we're talking about children here and there's a lot of things we don't let mm. children decide for themselves. Cutting off genitals should certainly not be one of them. So then let me, let me ask you this before we get into the rest of the story, because I want to rest, I want to hear the rest of the story and, and all the fallout from it. Who do you ultimately hold responsible for what happened to you? Because I also believe in personal accountability, but again, you were, you were a child, you were 13, like, Children make dumb decisions all the Absolutely. time. My my teenager this weekend threw a shoe at a house playing ding dong ditch. You know, we they do dumb <laughs> things. They're children. Um, so I don't think we can hold the child accountable for that. So who do you hold accountable? Um I mean, I feel like a lot of people played a part in this. I mean, there were the people that um, to people like within the transgender community and some of the people around me in person who actually celebrated every milestone of my transition, the more extreme that it got. And um, I mean, I was the one who chose to do, I do have a little bit of responsibility. I do have a little bit of accountability to take, but at the same time, I was a child and I wasn't, I was neither fully informed nor was I capable of making fully informed decision um ultimately i think that the doctors are the one to blame for this yeah they're the, i mean they're the professionals right they're supposed yes. to know better and there's no doubt that some doctors not want to say all doctors but some doctors will push certain things on people for mm -hmm. money i've seen it i've seen it over and again in my personal life in my professional life in the medical community and that's what it seems like happen here because you were you were pushed through it okay so so this the double the double mastectomy i mean it, uh, it just breaks breaks my heart to like even even think about that happening to you it's um how how did that go um and was there side effects like was it immediate that you know that knew that you had made a mistake what what happened 
So when I woke up from the surgery and I would say the, the first few days after surgery, I actually felt quite happy. It was like, I made, I made this huge milestone and I felt like I was becoming more whole, more complete as a person. And I mean, this part of my body that I didn't want anymore was finally gone. And I mean, I posted about it. I got a lot of support for it online. A lot of people congratulated me. Um, and when I came home, um, it was kind of comforting because my mom was like taking care of me during the post-op process. I, it started to get more, more and more upsetting as time went on because, you know, um, the pain meds I was on were actually causing me more pain than the actual incisions themselves. It was like a deep muscle pain in my chest, whereas the pain meds um, gave me really bad digestive issues. So I had to go off of them within like a matter of two days. But um, having to unravel the bandages and then take care of these wounds that were on my chest, that was that was traumatizing. I I could... I could barely stand to look down at my at my chest. Um, does it does it still? It seems like it's still upsetting to you. It's it's terrifying to look back on. It was quite disgusting, actually. Um, no fifteen year old should have to go through that. No. But I'm actually still. It's been well over two and a half years, and I'm still. Um, I'm still healing. I've had regressions in the healing. Physically? Actually. You're still yes. physically? Yes. Oh my goodness. So I was basically told like, oh, you should be, you should be mostly fully healed by about a year and a year and a half. Um, which was the case. I mean, I did have like some issues with like dry skin and hyperpigmentation and also underpigmentation. It's uneven, but um, about Two years after the fact, earlier this year, in I think spring, maybe around like May or April, um, they, and I'm not, I don't really know just how graphic I can, I can get on here. You can get as graphic as you want to get. Okay. Um, wherever you're posting this to, I would recommend like putting a, a timestamp just to, just to skip over the, de- the details because <laughs> it's, it gets, it gets, it gets gross and i'll try to i'll try to minimize it as much as i can but um so the incision they did for me was called um a double mastectomy with a with nipple grafts meaning that not only did they they cut into an area of my breast and like took the tissue out and then left some in to contour it to make for a more masculine appearance they also basically um they described it they described it like this to me to make it, I think to make it more digestible to me as a 15 year old kid. But they said that they would basically do like a, like a deep scrape in my, on an area of skin, kind of like a, like a knee scrape, but more in a more controlled fashion. And then they would, they, they removed um, basically the top layer of my nipples and then pasted it into that area of scraped skin to create a, again, a more masculine appearance, they called it. Hmm. Um, it's pretty, pretty brutal. And, um, throughout the healing process, um, the top layer of skin has kind of, it's definitely not the way it used to be. Um, it used to be 
quite dry and at first it wasn't really much of a problem but this year the top layer of skin has basically just completely failed to heal and it's it's like constantly like emitting this fluid i have oh no i i have no Still, idea to what this it is. day two years later it's yeah this fluid. this started two years after the fact actually oh wow um well, that's i have no normal. idea what it is no no this shouldn't be happening I I've, I've I basically have to wear bandages to prevent it from getting on like my my bedding and and my oh clothing. Oh my goodness! Yeah, it's it's bad. And I've actually reached out to the surgeon about this, and um, I was only able I was I was I was trying to get like a physical consultation with him. He only agreed to a a Zoom call basically. And um, wait, the physician who who did this surgery is is yes. not agreeing to see you? Yeah, that's a complete so, lack of accountability. I hope you've talked yeah. to a lawyer. Kaiser has been has kind of been like this in general though for like the past two years. Um, I guess it's just cheaper to do that. <laughs> but um, he basically rushed me through the appointment, and he was very short with me. And his response to me telling him about my about um, this complication was basically uh, keep doing what you're doing with the bandages, but put some Vaseline over it. And I was like, um. I mean, it's already. And then, this is over Zoom. Yeah, man, fuck that guy. You, <laughs> have you talked to a lawyer like that? That's messed up. You, yes, you are I have. oozing from the place he did surgery on you two years ago, and he has not seen you. Yeah, yeah, and he was you like, need to talk slap to some lawyer. Vaseline on it. Put some Vaseline on it, no. and it made it worse. Yes, it made I mean, it worse. My my wife is a nurse. Even she knows you. That's the wrong thing to do. You don't put Vaseline um, on a wound. You. First of all, thank you for sharing these these details. You're an incredible. I'm sorry that incre- I. No, you're an incredibly brave young lady. Like just to share this story with the public, I imagine to a degree it's embarrassing for you. You're you're very brave. You're definitely helping some confused kids out there when you get on these um, platforms and start talking about this stuff because other kids hear it and they're not hearing this from too many places and they need, they need to, hear, to hear this. They need to hear both sides of it. Right. I mean, they definitely need to hear this side of it. They're hearing the other side of it. They need to hear this side of it. And the parents especially need to hear it because ultimately they're the ones signing off on this stuff, at least in some States, in some States, the parents get no say, which is yeah. absolutely mind blowing. Um, has since all of this, since you, you, you transitioned back, um, has, like uh, personal are are you has dating gotten easier for you like is that working for you now like is life going better for you in general um i mean in general and and socially yeah it's been a lot better it's in the initial stages of detransition it was quite difficult actually you know i i like went off the i went off the testosterone cold turkey and that was quite the process because it made me i got really sickly during that period, I lost like 25 pounds within a matter of two months. And I was really prone to like getting, getting illnesses. And I had some really bad digestive issues, but I was also very emotionally volatile and I was prone to outbursts and things like that. And I lost my support from this community. I was basically excommunicated and made to shut up about my experience. And then I lost pretty much all my friends at school. They've been quite vicious with you, the community. Yeah, from the beginning. Well That's, before I started speaking out publicly, actually. Goes against every single thing that they preach. 
Yeah. Just be, just because you, it didn't work for you and you have some different things to say about it. They've, mm-hmm. they've trashed you. Mm-hmm. Um, other, other than the, the complications with the breast, have there been other health complications or. Yeah. So I think from the blockers, um, because it causes, it's thrown to cause some issues with bone density, um, and things like that. I've, I've been getting, I've noticed that I've been getting some, some joint pains. And while I was on the blockers, actually I had, because they basically put you into like a state of artificial menopause. I started, um, I started experiencing, uh, hot flashes for the duration of being on them. And it was, it was quite bad actually. Like they, um, I couldn't like concentrate in class or on pretty much anything that I was doing in those moments when they would pop up and I would have no warning. I couldn't even wear like warm clothing in the winter because of it. It was, it was bad and it would make my whole body itch and it's no kids should have to go through that. No. But from the testosterone, I, um, I'd say after about a year or so of being on it, I started experiencing like um, some urinary tract issues that I'm still kind of experiencing to this day. They're getting better um, the longer that I'm off testosterone, but it used to be really bad. And in the initial stages of the the, the first few months, so about the first few years after the first few, the first year after I stopped taking it, um, I would get like blood in my urine, and it was really it was really bad. And I tried to see like a, I tried to see like a physician for it. And again, I wasn't really able to get like a physical appointment and even the physical appointments that I could get. It was like, there would be like a two to one to two month wait. So, yeah, I mean, I never really got to the bottom of it. Unfortunately, I still don't know what was going on. Yeah. Um, really fucked up your whole childhood. Like your childhood's gone. You're not a kid anymore. And yeah, forced you to was, grow up fast. Yeah. Not only were they forcing me to grow up, but they also were directly impeding my development by having me go on these treatments. I mean, I'm not really sure about um, whether I'll be able to conceive or safely carry a child because um, I started testosterone maybe about a year or so after I started having periods. And by that point I was so young that they hadn't even regulated yet. Um, I, I, I'm, I was very lucky to have gotten my period back after only oh, about good. two months. I didn't want two to months. ask was good. Yeah. Um, okay. And the interesting thing is that they're, they're quite regular. So that must mean that there must've been some sort of development that went on, even though I was on these, basically these endocrine disruptors. Yeah. Well, you you definitely have some long-term issues you're dealing with here, but the good news is, you know, the, the body's pretty miraculous at healing itself. Just stay positive. You're a positive girl. Stay positive. Keep give, feed the body. Right. And I look, I've, I've not closely followed your story. I did. I I have heard a couple of videos from you and they were like a year ago mm. and just, just being real. When I heard those a year ago, it was awkward to, to watch because you looked like a girl but you sounded like a dude. And yeah. as I'm talking to you now, you sound like a girl again. So that seems to be getting better, right? Yeah, it's it's crazy how how much development has happened just within the past year. Yeah, good, good. Um, so your, your parents, let's get back to your parents. Um, mm-hmm. They were supportive in you changing mm-hmm. uh, and you transitioning. I mean, they were forced to be. 
Yeah. Okay. They were forced to be. So I assume they were also supportive of you coming back from that side. Yeah. They do they blame themselves? Are they dealing with a shit ton of guilt? It gets it gets better over time, but I mean, at first when they saw how distraught I was after realizing my mistake, they. I mean, I took a pretty hard hit after that, but they did as well, and they they felt like they they failed me as as parents. But I feel like seeing seeing how I'm doing now has really helped helped yeah. them. And what about your relationship with them? Do do you resent them at all because of all this? No, not at all. I don't blame them. But well, that's good. I find that's that happy <laughs> Yeah, my res- my relationship with them actually became a little bit strained over the course of my transition as I became more distressed, more depressed and anxious, but um you know, after I've gone off all the treatments and stopped living a lie basically, I've um kind of reconciled with them and most of my other family as well. Yeah. You, you, you said you're the youngest of five. I'm actually the oldest of five, coincidentally. Wow. Um, uh, love being from a big family. Um, were all your siblings supportive of this? Like when you, when you transitioned, were, did any of them have a hard time with it? Did they try to talk you out of it? Like, what was that all like? So one of my older brothers actually was having a really hard time with it because when I was 11, he went into the Navy. And so he, neither of us really heard from each other for a few years. And then all of a sudden he like called my mom one summer and he heard my voice and he was like, oh my God, what is, why, why is your voice so deep? And then my mom explained the situation. To oh, he didn't he even know. Wow. He yeah. said, you know, most kids regret that, right? And I, it was quite uncomfortable at the time. And I just left the room. I thought he was just being a jerk. And it kind of was like that for a few years. But I mean, even if it didn't, even if it didn't work at the time, I real, I still really appreciate that he's tried to, he tried to save me and that he ended up right in the end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you, so you don't think there's ever a time when it's okay for, for a kid to begin this, like, is there, have you seen even like the most extreme case where this kid, uh, yes, we don't believe he can be born with one body and one mind, but this kid went down this road and seems better for it. So maybe it was okay in that circumstance. Is there any exception to this for you? No, I haven't seen a single one. Every, every trans identified team that I met, has ended up getting worse over the years. And I mean, just look at Jazz Jennings. She's, she transitioned much younger than I did. And she's, she's in college awfully depressed and she's gained quite a bit of weight from, from being in so much distress. But every, every transgender person, every really young transgender person that I've, I've known personally, um, they've kind of gone off in the deep end and they've, either ended up like yeah and like a really poor housing situation or like really abusive relationships or they're it's not ended become addicted to drugs it's they they a lot of prostitution over the course of their transition yes over the course of their transition they just become more and more unhealthy not only physically but in they don't take care of themselves and it's awful to see and it's like you said if they 
feel this way as an adult, they're free to do it then. Like why, why rush it? We had, we previously had on a guy named Buck Angel. I'm sure you're familiar with him. Yes, and he, he did this as an adult. Um, he seems happier from it and he passes, you know what I mean? Like going mm-hmm. through puberty didn't, didn't do one thing to take away his masculinity. So like, why do we need to do this to children? Let's, let's wait, let them make this decision on their own when they are then at least accountable for their own actions, right? Like no reason to do this to kids. And the left, the left seems like they've done a clever thing here. I don't know. I don't want to say the left. I don't know what group is at the center of this, but there's been a, a clever thing done where they've attached what what we have here is genital mutilation of children, right? That's let's just be real. That's what it is. You cutting off little dicks of little boys and cutting yeah. off breasts of women. It's genital. And it mutilation. goes so much further than that as well. Like yes. you're removing you're removing the organs yes. that feed children, and you're also directly stopping their development and basically just derailing the train completely. Yes. And they've, they've done that, these medical procedures, and they've attached it somehow with the gay and lesbian movement, which it has nothing to do with. Like you said yourself, no. you, you did this. You weren't gay. You were, you were in to, to men. And even after you transitioned, you were into men. This has nothing to do with gays and lesbians. And it seems like a clever little trick that they tied it in with gays and lesbians, because then when you are against doing this to children, somehow you're against the LGBT. One thing I do have to say about that, though, is that a lot of the trans-identified teenage girls that I knew, um, some of them were were lesbians, actually, and they kind of struggled with their attraction to women. Like they were, they were bullied. Mm. They were bullied growing up for it, or they like their. So they thought it would be easier if they were a boy, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Well, that speaks to society, at least at that time, not fully accepting lesbianism right so that's the problem there it's not it's not that this little girl needs to be a boy it's that it's okay for a little girl to like another little girl mm-hmm. let's be okay with that I, I i thought we were already okay with that but i'm sure there are pockets where we're still not okay with that yeah um so this this show the dad presents we've we've dealt we we really fought hard during covid to bring truth about you know, just everything with COVID. And I don't want to start getting into all that right now. It got us canceled from YouTube. It got us canceled from Facebook where we had 75,000 followers. It's gotten us canceled all over the place. They've come hard half after you. Like I, you've really been attacked hardcore. Um, luckily, Elon has purchased Twitter. So I think you're safe there. But how have you evaded cancellation on these platforms? Um, I just don't give in to the mob. Um, at first, I said this earlier, but before I went public on and started speaking on Twitter about about my journey, um, on my on my old social media, actually, I started talking about like my like my like my private like personal social medias. I used to talk about my experience transitioning and then detransitioning when when the time came for when the time came around for for that to happen, but. Um, as soon as I even expressed that I regretted my transition, I actually got bullied by, um, I got harassed by other trans, um, other trans, trans identified people. And at first it was actually mostly, um, it was mostly, um, trans identified women who did this. Um, they, they would say things to me like, 
you knew exactly what you were doing. You were 13. You weren't, you weren't a small child. You're, you're just, you're just, you're just a complete idiot and you deserve this pain. Doesn't it hurt having your, no longer having your breasts? You said you deserve this yeah. pain. And they would say things like, you don't deserve parents who loved you so much and allowed you to transition. And then eventually um, it became like, oh, you need to, you need to shut up and stop talking about this because you're, you're making other people uncomfortable. You're, you're hurting real transgender people by talking about this. So you need to stop talking about it. And, you know, I, I don't I get that in. mentality at all about any and, subject. Like how does, how does telling your story, your truth, you're, you're only sharing your story. How does that harm anyone? How is knowledge harm anyone in any capacity and why do you think what what okay so you're saying it was mostly coming from men who transitioned to women is that no no at first it started coming from 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 women who transitioned to a male identity but um, eventually it started to become more equal um so it's been from other trans people more so than like political action committees and stuff like that why yeah and sometimes my friends who like called themselves allies would be like oh i think anybody should should be allowed to transition i think you're being transphobic they say to the person who went basically all the way through the the process of transitioning that's fucking Um, wild yeah (laughs) um why do you think they are so uh vigilant about that like they don't want you to tell your story. Like, is it, is it something about themselves that they fear? What, what is it that they care so much about? Yeah, I think it's mostly a mixture of jealousy and fear. I mean, some of those, those same people were the ones who celebrated every milestone of my transition and said they looked up to me up until I detransitioned. And a lot of them were actually every, every one of them that I, that I can remember, none of them had, um, had medically transitioned yet, or they weren't very far into the process. And so they kind of wish that they were in my situation. They wish that they had parents who would allow them to transition or that they had like the, the money to do it. Because for me, it was covered completely by insurance. And I mean, that's, that's by law, that's by California law, but a lot of these people, they would like live all over the U S and it's not like that in every, every state. And honestly it shouldn't be, but, um, yeah. A lot of a lot of jealousy and fear of being wrong themselves. I mean, it's it's a very it's a very um it's a very fragile idea, honestly, that a person of one sex can actually be the other or become the other. Yeah, it well, you know, there I remember a few years ago there was a woman, I don't know if you're familiar with the story, her name was Rachel Dolezal, and she was a white girl or a Jewish girl who pretended to be black and became the head of the double, the NAACP. Okay. She became the head of the NAACP before anybody found out she was a white girl pretending to be black. And my black friends, one of whom used to co-host this show with me was furious about it, that she's pretending to be black. But at that time, this is like five, six years ago. I said to him, I don't understand the difference between that and what when a woman wants to be a man or a man wants to be a woman, like it's all kind of in the same bucket. You're pretending to be something that you're not biological. So either we're OK with all of it or we're OK with none of it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, isn't that the same thing? Pretending to be black if you're not black as pretending to be a boy if you're a girl. If anything, it might make more sense to be transracial because race is actually fluid. There's more than there's more than two races and it's possible to be mixed race. Whereas 
right. there's only two sexes and you can't be one you can't you can't be in between yeah it's, it's yeah. always one or the other even if you have like a disorder in your sexual development you that makes you more yeah. ambiguous or produce one gamete well yeah. yeah yeah it just feels like we're dealing with some dark stuff in society you know the, the jeffrey epstein story and then you got covid you got esg scores with with uh what's going on in the world of finance there's some dark things going on and then when you see a story come out are you familiar with the balenciaga balenciaga is that i'm not saying that right balenciaga, balenciaga. story yeah i've balenciaga. I've, thank you i've been so keeping what, up with that and it's what do you think about that words cannot explain right they're kind of like laying it out for you like we are sexualizing children like babies i i don't even know where to begin it's <laughs> it's just but doesn't it kind of shine a light a little bit on all this for you like how much they've been pushing this transgender stuff that's just more sexualization of of children like 13 year olds shouldn't be thinking about any of this stuff, right? Like if I found out my 13 year old was behind the dumpster, having sex with his pretend girlfriend, that would be a big problem for me as should it be to any parent, especially like a child wanting to change their sex. Like it's all sexual and it's all not good for kids. Yeah. I mean, transitioning, I mean, it affects like your, your reproductive system and your sex organs and the way that you experience sexuality so it's inherently kind of a sexual thing, whether you want it to be or not. But I find that a lot of people I knew who transitioned, either like detransitioners or people who are still currently transitioning, a lot of them had like childhood sexual trauma. Like they had been abused or assaulted or stalked or things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes, that makes total sense. I mean, that kind of stuff will screw you up for life. It's, it's, it's very traumatic because little kids are not supposed to be touched in that way. It's going to no. do a trick on your mind. Right. And then, you know, the, I don't, we don't need to get a, into all the darkness of that, but it's, it's gross and it, it messes kids up. And I can see how that can create some confusion for them going forward. The answer then is to not uh, mutilate their genitals. It's to yeah. get them some therapy and help them get right. Exactly. Well, uh, Chloe, again, we're we're running out of time here, but you're you're a super brave girl. Um, I, as a parent and as a parent here in Los Angeles, who's kind of surrounded by this stuff in the community, I really appreciate that there's a girl like you who's who who can speak to this credibly because you've gone through it and you've come out the other side. You're strong. You're brave. Um, there are definitely parents watching. Uh, if if there's some parents right now who are watching this show who are in this and there definitely are who are in this with their kids with their daughters and they're thinking about it what can you give like a little bit of wisdom to them what would you say to them the first and most important thing i think is to let your kids know that you love them and to stay involved in their lives and keep them occupied with things um like at school like sports clubs and Keep them off of the internet and away from technology as as long as you can. And once they're old enough to start using it, maybe start using social media even. Um, monitor their usage. Look at what they're looking at and how long, how much time they're spending on it and yeah. keep them safe. 
Yeah, so hard with the with the phones. I hear you. Like our like I said, our kids are on the phones, but we only let them have it as, between certain hours a day. But that's it's an a easy hard fix, one. But- it's a hard one because yeah, if you take away the phone, especially for a girl, she's now a social pariah if she doesn't yeah. have a phone and all her friends have a phone. And uh, Instagram's just a fucking hellscape for young girls because it's nothing but girls on there. And and then TikTok is worse. And that's where the kids are spending most of their time. It's just, it's just young girls doing dances they shouldn't be doing yeah. and sending it out there to the in, entire world. That cannot be good for a young mind. Yeah. I don't, and, and you're right. We need to not let our kids on that, but that needs to be a collective effort by society. Like parents exactly. need to bond together and call other parents. And we've tried to get this movement going with our friends and it doesn't really take, it's a, it's a tough one, but we need to get a collection of parents together and say, okay, no phones until they're 16. We're all yeah. taking our phones away. That's the only way it's it's, hard. it happens. It's hard because there's kind of a generational difference in that. Um, I mean, I'm basically um, one of two generations that has been growing up pretty much on the internet. And so a lot of these older generations don't really understand like just, just how horrible the internet can get and how dangerous it can be. And so a lot of parents are quick to just like, Oh, I'll just let my kid use the iPad while I'm doing this and keep them occupied. Mm-hmm. But and that starts when they're five yeah. and six. It's an easy babysitter. You're driving two hours to your friend's house, give the kid an iPad, right? Yeah. And even with like content filters and like keeping them keeping them from like more adult, more dangerous content. Um, I mean, just just exposing them to certain forms of technology from a young age can really screw up their development as well. Yeah. It's a tough one because technology, that genie is not going back in the bottle. So we Mm -hmm. got to figure something out there. Yeah. All right, Chloe, thank you so much. I I, I really appreciate your time. Um, Yeah. Great talking to you. I'd love to have you back in a year and let's see where all this is at. Yeah. I'd love to. All right. Take care. Bye.